Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rob and Roller New Year's Special. Uh, today, we want to take time and remember the racing portions of 2020, as arguably they were the best parts of 2020. I mean, let's be honest. It was 2020. I think a lot of people can probably say for themselves that uh, this year could have been better, especially with COVID. Uh, but we hope you are listening to us somewhere warm because it's snowing here in Indiana. I don't know about you, Josh, but uh, is it snowing up there in Kokomo? Because he's over here. He's home for the holidays, right? Yeah, I just got home yesterday. It, it, it did snow here. I did have to scrape some ice off my car um, yeah. before I left my grandma's today, uh, before I got home this afternoon. So, yes, it did snow, um, and I did not miss it. I did not miss the snow. No, I, I didn't think so. I, I, You're probably going to go I've back been, to Charlotte and not see any snow, right? Yeah, I, w- I was enjoying the rain. I know that's breaking my mom's heart as she listens to this right now, but I was enjoying the rain. One day, I think, I don't know if I've mentioned this already, but it was like real field negative eight in Kokomo, Indiana, and it was 33 in Charlotte, and I was so happy to be in 33 <laughs> degree weather and not negative eight real field. So, yeah. I can't blame you on that one. I really, I truthfully can't blame you for that. So, um, but anyway, we hope you are listening to us somewhere warm, like I said, or maybe with your close kin as you celebrate a social distance New Year's Eve. In fact, if you do play us at a New Year's gathering, you could uh, tell us about it on Twitter by tweeting us at rpeters33, at roller underscore zero one, and at Robin Roller. So uh, that would be great if you are listening to us in, in on, a, on New Year's Eve here. Because um, it is a great New Year's Eve, I think uh, we, we'd be good to listen to on a New Year's. Eve. Some some people put like Christmas music on still around New Year's Eve. I don't I don't know how many people do that, but uh, if you've got a smart speaker, you know, go like, hey Google or hey Alexa or whatever, and be like, hey, play Robin Roller. Um, I think I think they do that. I don't know if they do that. Maybe they I'm do. Sure. That. I'm thinking they can. And I just remembered something. I think I'm remembering this right. My Google went off in the back background i don't know if you heard that i just realized my my google went off in the background (laughs) i saw on instagram that if you start watching avengers endgame at exactly 9 29 and 30 seconds p.m on new year's eve tony stark iron man will exactly snap his fingers when the clock strikes midnight from amazing so i'm like i kind of want to do that yeah, you kind of want to see him snap the fingers like, oh, and we go back to March, whatever, and the world is all fine again. You know, not sure that would be, but that's just cool that someone actually thought to do that, do the math and test this out and get it right. That's too cool. That is pretty cool. Not as cool as my Google Home Mini playing music in the background. And I just had to interrupt you to tell it to stop. We <laughs> are a great podcast. We are a great podcast. I promise you, we are professional. We are professional. Uh, so anyway, whatever. Let's get you caught up on some of the news because we do have some news to talk about. Uh, it's it's silly season. The racing season is over. The Super Formula season finished up. It's over. Um, so now there's no more racing. Uh, and we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for racing because of season opening round uh, for the Formula E, the Santiago E-Prix, has been postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The hope is to reschedule the doubleheader weekends some, during the first quarter of 2021. But for now, we're going to have to wait longer for racing to come back Ugh, i feel like we're going back to pre-formula e day isn't it uh oh my gosh 
Um, we got some Formula One news to talk about as well. Not so much Formula E news, but more Formula One news here. Uh, and we do have the biggest news, the big bomb that was happened. We talked about this in our last show right before it happened. We said we're going to have something to talk about on our new our, our New Year's show. And sure enough, here it is. Red Bull Racing has confirmed Sergio Perez is going to be the new teammate of Max Verstappen in 2021, replacing Woo! Alexander Albon, who becomes who becomes the team's reserve and development driver. Okay, so uh, we we pretty much saw this coming a while ago. Perez going to Red Bull, uh, Albon getting the getting kicked essentially not to the can, not to the curb, but to a reserve speed seat. Excuse me, I'm drinking Mountain Dew, so I might burp once or twice. Um, I'm, I apologize. Uh, <laughs> again, we're a professional podcast. Remember that. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, you know, I, I really uh, have a feeling that this is gonna do do go well for Red Bull Red Bull in, in the future. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but um, I posted a tweet and I think you saw this as well and you you commented on it, I think, as well, Josh. Yeah. Um, but they compared Albon to Verstappen and Verstappen essentially pummeled him. I mean, he got, he out-qualified him uh, almost every race, uh, if not every race, I think. And then not only that, but the only races where Albon finished ahead of Max were the races where Max either crashed or had a problem, which is not good. Again, yeah. not good. Max out outscored him in points handedly. Um, where did Max finish? He finished third in the championship, whereas Albon finished somewhere like eighth or something. Yeah. Uh, so again, you just you can't get pummeled like that by your teammate and expect to keep you right. Uh, it's just it's not an, a good thing, especially when you're Red Bull. You're the second best. Red Bull has to make the best move for themselves, and I think this was the best move. Absolutely. It's going to be interesting to see what ends up happening with, to Albon in the future. It's also going to be interesting to see what ends up happening uh, to the rest of the Red Bull program because they've Red Bull is like Red Bull in Formula One and and Toyota in NASCAR seriously need to do figure out what to do with the amount of talent they have yeah. and the amount of talent they end up letting go either go to waste or getting wasted at some point because uh, geez I mean there was a time where Eric Jones was the next big thing and everybody and their mom knew Eric Jones was going to be like a future champion and now here he, he got fired from Joe Gibbs this week this last year I mean he's going to Richard Petty Motorsports now a poor guy how do you go from that I mean going from the biggest prodigy in NASCAR since gosh I don't know the Bush brothers maybe I don't know who else has been a big prodigy Chase Elliott yeah oh well he yeah. came yeah yeah um it, to 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 out of the program entirely. It just it, it's 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 crazy. So Red Bull's got some work to do here because they could have a big backup. Because now uh, so, they they promoted Sonoda. We already talked about that. They promoted the Sonoda to AlphaTauri, and they still got guys down in F two and in and in um, Formula Regionals and in Euro Formula Open and all that stuff. That like you know they're gonna have to uh, do something with at some point or let them or let them go or. If if the Red Bull driver program isn't working out, then I don't know what they're going to do about it because it seems like every single driver they bring up flames out immediately, except for Verstappen, you know, except for Verstappen. Everybody else is kind of – and Vettel, I guess. Vettel technically. Vettel was a before, before product, I guess. But anyway, um, next piece of news here. The FIA has confirmed the 23 race schedule released a few weeks back, but it, the race replacing Vietnam – uh, is still to be announced at the time of recording this, so we don't know what's going to take that place. Yeah, I've now heard Imola. Have you heard the same thing? We we talked about maybe uh, Portugal coming back, but now I'm hearing Imola. Has have you been I, hearing I, the same thing? 
I didn't see that one. I've heard like kind of the four favorites are are Imola, Nurburgring, uh, Portugal, and uh, I can't remember the other one now. Oh, Mugello. I think those are like the four. I think those are the four candidates right now. Mugello gets my vote right off the bat. First of all, yeah, I, <laughs> Mugello gets my vote. If if Mugello comes back, I will be very happy. I would like to see them go to a different country other than Italy, though myself. So I mean, my vote, oh, yeah, I my that. vote personally would be Germany. Have a race there. I know that disappoints the Portugal folks, but I kind of wouldn't be surprised if it's Portugal at this time with with Portimao. So that track is crazy. The, the elevation changes on that thing. I mean, it, it it it's it's it. I feel it feels wrong saying this, but it kind of reminds me of like if. A scenic, how do I explain this? Not really, like a scenic Laguna Seca combined with Barber. You know what I mean? Like over here in the States to compare yeah. it to something. That's how how crazy the elevation changes are at Portimao. I love that track. It's a great track. I, I just I just think that um, Magello produced better racing. But that's just my opinion. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I'd be happy with any of those. I, I'd especially be happy with Germany, with Nürburgring. But um, I think it'd be a mistake to go to Imola with these cars. That's my it thing. It would be. If you, have, if you they want to, have go to Imola, wait till next year. You know what I mean? Wait till 2022. Then, then you yeah. go to Imola, but not now. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, how about this for some news? Total Wolf. To- uh, hello. Uh, voice voice crack there. Toto Wolf will remain the team principal of Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team for the next three seasons. So that's good. Get get keep the defending champions in uh, familiar territory. Yep. Um, and then uh, this was this is something we got to I guess continue to talk about is uh, we talked about it a little bit last week and we've talked about it the last couple of weeks on the show. But Nikita Mazepin is still in the news. Uh, the news has kind of died down since. The last week, I guess, Christmas. But right before Christmas, like in the 23rd, Haas F1 team put out an announcement basically saying that there had been no change in their driver lineup, that, you know, the situation with Mazepin was dealt with internally, and yeah. that was all they were going to say on the subject. So outside of that, we don't have any other news on Nikita Mazepin. We know he's going to be on the grid next year, I guess. There's, I, I don't really see that changing i look it looks like he's truthfully going to be on the grid next year but i guess the only thing Haas took away from him was his social media presence because all of his tweets are gone i i don't know i haven't looked at his instagram page but i would assume that all of those are gone um and that was pretty big news because we saw um matt gallagher from uh wtf1 that that blog if you re- read it i i find their content funny um but uh he was posting and and tweeting some interesting images from the uh the the girl that was in the video with Mazepin and she seemed to be saying some things that implied heavily that you know either she was paid off or she was drunk that night and she shouldn't have let that happen and she was just trying to do damage control for Nikita or what have you I don't know but it it definitely did not seem very good uh at the time. And so a lot of people are saying, Oh, well, this is still hearsay. This is all still that. Yeah. Well, whatever we talked about it, whether or not Haas was dealing with it internally. And I think we still downshift even still now I do, that yeah. Haas dealing with it internally is not. And you got, and right you got a downshift go. formula one's response. Where's oh, the yeah, 100%. response at? I mean, this to me is a clear breach of a lot of their sporting codes and guidelines. And we really haven't heard anything from them, which is 
disconcerting to say the least. It just doesn't seem like they are going to do anything about this, which is just so, I don't want to say bizarre, but it's disappointing. Yeah. It's bizarre. Well, it's bizarre and disappointing. I, I will go there. I'll say it's bizarre. It's not, it's not, it doesn't sync up with what their message has especially been this year in, 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 in other recent actions. I really think a lot of it's got to be the money factor. And I mean, I understand from Haas's perspective is you want to damage control as much as you can because you know that this guy is pretty much the only thing keeping your race team afloat right now is the money that he's going to bring in. So I understand why they had to sign him. I think they know that the guy that is going to get the most, I think everybody at this point is already aware that Mick Schumacher is going to get the most attention next year and that, Mazepin is going to be completely ignored. Which, by the way, I found out this bothers me. He's taking Marcus Erickson's nine, and I'm I, I kind of like that. Personally, makes me dislike him more now. It's completely unfair reason to dislike the guy. Completely, but but we all like you all have like those certain reasons. Like, I'm sure there's certain people out there that you dislike for some stupid reason. Right? This right. is this is my stupid reason. He took he took Marcus Erickson's nine. I understand Marcus Erickson is not in Formula One anymore. But I don't know. That just bothered me because I have good memories of a car number nine out there, and it's being Marcus Erickson, a nice, genuine person um, that some could call a pay driver as well. But still, again, a nice, genuine person. Uh, and now it's is that that card number is take being taken by Mazepin. So I don't know. That's that's a minuscule, arbitrary, nonsensical fact. But you know, anyway, so that's the basic news: is that as far as we know, as of this time, as of twenty twenty. Mazepin's going to race for him next year. Well, of course, that could change um, in the future. But as of right now, I don't see that happening. And then, of course, Schumacher. Uh, this was today I read a story about Schumacher saying Benotto is already saying that Schumacher is destined for Ferrari. Well, duh. So they're not even hiding it at this point that he's going to Ferrari in like a couple of years. He's basically being thrown into Haas to get him some experience at this level at the in the back of the field. And then... As soon as he, they feel like he's ready, they're going to send him up and say, all right, go win races now. Two years, Max. Two years, Max. I mean, that's a, that's a worst-kept secret that Mick Schumacher's destined for a Ferrari. That's a worst-kept secret. Oh, yeah. But that has to you have to, want, you have to look at Carlos Sainz now, who just signed a deal with Ferrari, and he's going to be like, oh, am I, I just signed this deal. Are you telling me I'm now going to be competing for my seat again? Well, he should have known that when he signed that contract. He knew that he when he signed that contract darn well. He was better off at McLaren. I hate to say it. Yeah. Or he was better off staying at Toro Rosso because I bet you he'd be in a Red Bull right now. That's true, too. That's true, too. Wow. I bet you, I bet you Carlos Sainz would be in a Red Bull right now. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree with that. For sure. I think, he deserve, I think if anybody deserves a Red Bull seat that, that wasn't Perez, I would, I would put Sainz on that list. Yeah, I would agree with that. For sure. Uh, and speaking of, okay, so we talked about the midfield, the top of the midfield, I guess, and now we're talking about the very, very top. Congratulations. He will now be known as Sir Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is being knighted by the Queen of England. He will become just the third Formula One driver to become knighted behind Jackie Stewart and Jack Brabham, uh, at least at the time. And he's actually the first, I read in this in the motorsport.com article, is uh, he's the first Formula One driver to be knighted during his his career. So, like, uh, Graham Hill and, and Jackie Stewart had been retired at the time they were knighted, but Lewis is the first active driver to be knighted. 
So that is Jack very Brabham good. or Graham Hill? Jack Brabham. Sir Jack, Jack Brabham. Brabham. Okay. And Sir Jackie Stewart. Okay. Mm. Those are the, both the two F1 drivers previously ignited. Okay. Uh, but so Lewis will be the third one, and he will be the first active Formula One driver to be knighted. So congratulations to Lewis Hamilton. I think that was – I felt like this was coming from a long yeah. time ago. But now, look at – I mean, he's got – He's got the pit straight at Silverstone named after him now. And now he's he's being knighted. I mean, this guy has got to be like, boy, you know, rags to riches, quite literally, you know? <laughs> That's what happens when you take it with the most wins and, the, and you tie for the most championships in a world championship Formula One. So I, it's to be expected to me. But it, he's well, been well deserving at the same time. He's well deserving of the honor. He was well deserving of it like three years ago, I would argue. That's fair. I mean, the way he handles himself, the way he conducts himself, the way he he represents the U- Great Britain with such a how do, I don't know how to describe it, but with such a, a a form of class that I think very few people embody any anymore. Um, and that's why I felt like he he deserved it, but a long time ago. But I'm glad that he's getting it now. It's right. it's 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 it, it's it's been due. It's due. Right. Um, Finishing up Formula 1, moving on into IMSA. Chase Elliott's 24 Hours of Daytona debut will be with Action Express Racing and it's number 31, Wheeling Engineering Cadillac. That'll be pretty cool. Chase Elliott running 24 Hours of Daytona because we're going to have to look forward to that now with no Formula E race beforehand. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Johnson has stated that he doesn't plan to add any more races to his 2021 calendar unless additional opportunities in IMSA's three other endurance races uh, arise, meaning only his 13 IndyCar races in the 24 Hours of Daytona are... Probably going to be the only races Johnson runs next year, no. uh, which would be kind of surprising to see. But I think probably st- it's good to see Jimmy still racing at a professional level. Right. It's just I think this doing this is a better way to spend time with your family and still compete at a high level, which is, I think, what Jimmy knows he can still do. I absolutely right. think he could compete at a high level. How well is he going to do in IndyCar next year? I'm not going to peg him for winning races and finishing in the top five. But I would peg him for top 10s at least. I would hope at yeah. least, you know, solid top 10, top 15 finishes typically, um, which, again, isn't much considering a 23-car field. But I digress. I still think that he could be he could be fairly decent. It'll be a learning season. So 2022 would probably be when I would start expecting Jimmy to start adapting to IndyCar road courses a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Uh, and now moving on to IndyCar, because that's a good segue. Uh, the Long Beach Grand Prix has been moved to September 26th, becoming the new season finale for the 2021 NTT IndyCar Series season. It will be the final race in the three back-to-back-to-back West Coast swing for the IndyCar Championship, including Portland and Laguna Seca. Uh, as a result of this change, IMSA has made a few changes to its schedule as well. Long Beach is relocated to September, as well as Laguna Seca, which was supposed to follow Long Beach in April. Uh, so that will now be on September 12th. Uh, so some shifting around for California COVID restrictions and whatnot. Again, hoping these races can get run next year. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Um, Connor Daly returns to Ed Carpenter Racing and the number 20 Chevrolet for the road and street courses as well as the Indianapolis 500. So uh, the U.S. Air Force will sponsor 10 of the 14 races. I was just about to say, that's 14 races for Connor Daly. Uh, and he's probably, I would assume that Carlin would give him the Oval races that Chilton doesn't want to run. Um, of course, you know, Max does want to run the 500 because let's be honest, it's the 500 and I don't blame him. Max still loves that thing. 
That's still the I, I talk about it every week on the show, but that's still the most interesting thing I've ever heard out of a drivers. You know, I don't like ovals, but I love Indianapolis, so I'll do it even if I don't like ovals because it's Indianapolis and I don't care. And that's Max's entire outlook on that. I just think that's cool where he's like, ah, I don't like ovals, but Indy, Indy's different. Indy, I'll do, you know. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of drivers should feel. Uh, especially towards Indianapolis, is, you know, you might not be ready for other ovals, but Indy is special. You want to be, Indy is where the best of the best come to compete, and I think Max knows that, and that's why he wants to be there. So, anywho, uh, moving on into some NASCAR news here. NASCAR released the schedules for the Xfinity Series Dash for Cash and the Camping World Truck Series, the Trip, the Triple Truck Challenge, whatever that's going to be called this year. I don't really know. I think it's still the Trip, I guess. I like the Triple Truck Challenge, but the Trip sounds better. Uh, so long as you know what that means, right? Yeah. Uh, the four races that make up the dash for cash will be Martinsville on April 9th, Talladega on April 24th, Darlington on May 8th, and Dover on May 15th. So, you know, just three of the most difficult, four, four of the most difficult tracks in the, in the schedule, basically. <laughs> Ovals, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, the three races, uh, a part of the trip will be at Darlington on May 7th, Coda, Circuit of the Americas on May 22nd, and Charlotte on May 28th. So a good mix there of races jeffrey earnhardt will return to jd motorsports in the xfinity series in 2021 with the attention to run the full calendar uh derek kraus will be returning returning to bill mcanally's team uh mcanally hilgerman racing and drive the number 19 toyota tundra again in 2021 in the truck series adam stern reports that due to nascar holding a number of one-day shows nascar and i racing are working on airing sim races during traditional broadcast windows on friday and saturdays how about you just give me a trackside live again or race day built by the home depot and fs1 or nbc and we'll call it even or air some of these wheel and modified races live and uh arca races live other grassroots races live or or tape delay come on they still do. They do, can they air the um, weekly series, the, the, the or the Wheel and All American series and stuff. Yeah, that'd be. Cool. I would do that. How about this? Sports Business Daily reports that the Money Team Racing. God, gosh, love that. Love the Money Team. Yeah, that that does. It's an oxymoron. You don't make money in racing. Come on, everybody knows that. The potential future NASCAR team owned by Floyd Mayweather is in advanced discussions with Spire Motorsports to perform to form a partnership. Uh, Sports Business Daily reports that under the team terms of the deal, the money team racing would co-brand one of Spire's cars in 2021 before using one of Spire's three charters in 2022 to run its own full-time entry, sources said. The sides are still finalizing the agreement and have yet to announce or comment on the record on the pack. So I believe, now this is me being flippant and crazy and I'm speculating, but do you think that Floyd Mayweather, when he knocks out Jake Paul or Logan Paul or Jake Paul or whatever that he's going to fight, in like uh, less than less than one round, is he going to use that money to to fund some of this ride? <laughs> I, I don't I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I think he the dude's got plenty of money. He could at least put together, oh, I know he's got he could put together a twenty million dollar effort pretty easily. I think. Unless Floyd Mayweather is the highest paid athlete in the world, correct? I have no idea. I think he's the highest paid athlete in the world. So I have a feeling if he fights Jake Paul, who if you don't know who Jake Paul is, well, first of all, congratulations. You are of a good age, and we're thankful that you're listening to our show. Uh, but if you don't know who this guy is, don't worry about it. You don't need to. Trust me, your kids probably know who he is. 
And even they don't want to talk about it. And if they do, they're too young for you to be talking about it with them anyway. Uh, so let's just say that. But, uh, yeah, if Floyd Mayweather knocks him out in about a round, less than a round, pegging is going to happen. Uh, I, I would hope that he uses some of the money to help fund, fund this effort and gets a good driver in there that's not named Reed Sorensen. Oh, gosh. Yeah, watch him turn around and, like, just hire Reed Sorensen or Joey Gase and just be like, is this a serious entry? Come on. <laughs> I mean, that's what, that's what I'm going to ask. Is this a serious entry? Is this really a serious entry? Or is it, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Okay. So last piece of NASCAR news here. Bristol Motor Speedway and Metro Nashville are in talks that could bring the highest levels of NASCAR to Nashville Fairgrounds as soon as 2022. Uh, per Bristol Motor Speedway release, discussions between the two parties include management of the track to be potentially taken over by Bristol Motor Speedway, shifting financial responsibility for the track renovation and maintenance to Bristol, and generation of additional revenue to the city through a lease, rent, and shared event revenue agreement. So this would be huge, but also crazy considering the fact that we just got Nashville Super Speedway back on the on the schedule. So is Nashville Super Speedway and the Nashville Fair, Fairgrounds going to be able to coexist, or are they going to end up shutting one down? I think that this is sort of the intention that I think everyone's willing to go to the same city twice to different tracks. Um, I think that is, I think, I, I think that the, there's no, there's no, uh, it's no coincidence that Nashville super speedways on the schedule in 2021. They are trying to convince people there that yes, racing will succeed in Nashville in that with NASCAR and that, uh, I mean, it's a free agreement with them at least to run there. I think, I think, I think we could see a board where we go to Nashville twice in two tracks. I really do. Whether whether both are points races is another thing. And get that here. If the, let's let's just say this happens, you go to Nashville Super Speedway and the Nashville Fairgrounds for NASCAR. Yeah. And you also have an IndyCar Street race happening. Yeah, a great variety in Nashville. These people down in Nashville are lucking out. I'm jealous. I, my my former roommate Joe, he moved down to Nashville a long time, oh, 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 like a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I'm jealous of this guy because he got to cover the press release at Nashville uh, Super Speedway opening back up. It was a big deal. I gotta say, it, it's just a great time. I have another friend, good friend of mine from high school, who lives down in Nashville too. She doesn't listen to this show. I'm certain she does not listen to this show. Um, but I do know that uh, she lives down in Nashville. So I'm not saying she, she'll go there, but I might convince her to. Um, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, so the so people of Nashville going from having almost no major racing presence to potentially having three different kinds of major racing events there yeah. uh, in, in just the co course of about three years is, is yeah. massive. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty huge. So that's going to be interesting. Interesting for sure. Um, so now that we've covered the news portion, let's cock up, go into the real special part, the parts of the show that are different than every other week. Um, and that's our featured paint scheme uh so their feature paint scheme from this weekend week is going to be different like from other other weekends is it's going to be totally hard for rob to pick because there's no jayski uh photos to go off of but josh was very nice at providing me a good idea to choose from so i'm very thankful that he went ahead and did that for me so that i didn't have to go through a whole ton of work trying to find paint schemes from 1996 that i liked and were interesting or having to go back and watch the whole bush series from 1996 would, if it's still on youtube i think it is by now but would you like a tip you know how i found mine 
How do you find these? How do you find these? I, I just simply know. go to racing reference. Okay. Uh-huh. And I go to the season and I click on like the Daytona race and I look for sponsorship number alignments and driver alignments. Like, oh, let's see if I can search. That sounds like a good, interesting combo. And I search it. Might take a couple, but that's how I find mine. Okay. Well, definitely, I should <laughs> probably start to start to. Do, I mean, it seems still like it's it's more work. I'm spoiled. You're right. You just you just click on one page and everything is just there. It's yeah. like so simple to find. I don't I don't know what the world did before we had those JC Payne schemes page. So holy cow. Um I'm gonna go ahead and turn it over to you, Josh, first. I'm gonna go ahead and let us know, Josh, what is your feature paint scheme for this week? Yeah, I'm selecting the you know, I've done this, I think I've done this before, but I'm selecting basically solely on a sponsor. It's Hermie Sadler's number one Dewalt Industrial Tools Chevrolet. He drove for his own team, Sadler Racing. Um the car was black on the front from uh the windshield forward. But the rest of the car was yellow, so basically from the windshield back. The number was white with black lining on both of the door and the roof. I chose this painting because I think I like the simplicity of the design of, of the car. Um, DeWalt used to have some really simple designs, especially in the Matt Kenseth, early Matt Kenseth years, um, which is kind of opposite to what has been run recently uh, with Joe Gibbs Racing. And I really, you know, you know, I don't know, you don't know who the input is any, anymore because we don't talk about it. But does Dewalt Stanley have put on how they how they want their paint schemes done, or simply in house? I don't know, but a simple paint scheme isn't bad. And I would have loved to have seen the twenty car like with this paint scheme on it: black front, yellow, yellow rear, essentially. But as a suggestion, throwback. Darlington and May, anyone? I think this would be a great candidate for it. Um, again, there's not much to talk about it. Black on the front, yellow on the back. All right. Uh, Sadler made all 26 races. Uh, his best finish was second at Hickory. It was his only top five, but finished in the top 10 four more times. And at the end of the season, he was 15th in the standings. Not the best year in the world, um, but uh, it was a good looking paint scheme. Hey, I would, I would agree with that. You have a. You- Nicely provided a nice little picture of it for me here. Uh, the one I'm going to pick, though, is uh, the Stevie Reeves number 96 Clabber Girl Ford that he drove for Andretti Laird Racing in 1996. Now, this is interesting. This has a story behind it. So I have my grandparents, I my grandma or my grandpa, I don't know who, who got it or whatever, but I have a, a 124 scale die cast of Stevie Reeves. Uh, the Big A Auto Parts car. This is the Clabber Girl car I'm talking about, but they do have the Big A Auto Parts. Now, Josh, you were really cool and got me the hero card signed by Stevie Reeves of this car, this uh, this Clabber Girl machine here that was, uh, you know, a little uh, teal and, and white. And it was Clabber Girl, which was uh, the baking powder, which was owned by the Holman family up until this past couple of years, I think. Yeah, they about owned two or three years ago. Um, and so that was the brand. And so so Stevie Reeves, keep in mind, he's from Indy. Indy. He's from here. He's from Indianapolis. He's from Speedway specifically. Um, and he's been racing in, in you know, midgets and in uh, NASCAR for, he had been up for throughout the 90s. Um, but uh, in, in, and, and you could tell, you know, a lot of, not a lot of people remember Stevie Reeves. I for one didn't. I for one did not remember Stevie Reeves all that much. 
And uh, I just remembered that car that my grandparents always had. And I always thought it was cool. And I used to play with it sometimes. And uh, they ended up giving it to me. Uh, and now I have it in my house. But I'm looking through at this. Before, let me, I'm going to count how many DNQs Stevie Reeves had. Let's see here. Oh. One, two. So day, he failed to qualify at Daytona, the season opener. Then he finished 15th at Rockingham, which is okay. Uh, then he failed to qualify at Richmond and Atlanta. Uh, essentially did nothing at the Nashville Fairgrounds, did nothing at Darlington, failed to qualify at Bristol, was out of the car in Hickory at Na and Nazareth. Then uh, it looks like here finished 23rd at Charlotte, 19th at, at Dover, didn't race at South Boston or Myrtle Beach, went to Watkins Glen, finished 23rd, Milwaukee is 20th, didn't race New Hampshire, 33rd at Talladega, his hometown race at IRP came, which is quite literally not very far from his old his, his house probably. I uh, came home 34th, went to Michigan, finished 34th again, then a 33rd at Bristol. So you could tell this guy was not great in a cup in, in a car period. Uh, but it looks like here we've got his best finish ever came in 1995 at Richmond, where he finished sixth in the third race of the season. He then had his second best finish ever in, in the very next year, 1997 at Bristol, where he finished sixth. But outside of that, I believe those are the only two top tens he ever had in NASCAR. Well. Yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure looking at this, this, yeah, this, these were his only top tens he ever had in NASCAR. Stevie Reeves would never have any other top tens, and it wouldn't even be in the 1996 season like we we're talking about. So, fun facts about that. So that's our Stevie Reeves. That's Stevie Reeves. How you know about Stevie Reeves? All right, all right, cool. That's that's that. All right, we're gonna move into our next, our very next. Uh, segment here, which is going to be called Playing President. So in if, if you, in case you've been living under a rock or you don't live in the United States, uh, the United States went through a presidential election about two months, about I'll say about two months ago now. Um, it's not officially been two months, but I'm sure by the time many people are listening to this, it'll have been two months. Uh, so we thought, we thought that we could do something fun. It's called a little game called What Would You, would you Do? On day one of motorsport presidency, so we're we're deciding we're a fantasy world. Josh and I have just been uh, elected or appointed or what have you in our own separate little worlds in our own fantasy worlds. Presidents of motorsports. So we like we we oversee all of motorsports, every single motorsport from the big from F one all the way down to the grassroots, the the Weber Valley Speedway. Which, by the way, shout out to them. I don't think they listen. That Facebook page is ridiculously funny. <laughs> I just, Weber Valley Speedway on Facebook just God, it's so funny. It's so funny. Anyway, but yeah, so we're we're the uh, presidents of that. Um, and so we're going to uh, talk about the five changes we would make on day one of our motorsports presidency. So Josh, I'm going to allow you to go first, and you're going to give your five step plan to improving motorsports, in your opinion, in your little fantasy world here. And uh, I will let you go ahead and go first, and you can tell us about your tyrannical dictatorship rule over motorsports. I'm kidding. It's not really tyrannical. Well, I'm going to go a softball here right off the bat, Rob. I'm sure you can agree with this one. The Brickyard 400 is going back to the Oval. All right? The Brickyard I love how you did the most important thing first. Yeah. The Brickyard 400 is going back to the Oval, okay? The Xfinity in IndyCar races should have remained an IndyCar NASCAR doubleheader. can be on the road courses. That's fine. All good there, but the Cup Series must race on the Oval. Zero excuses for that. 
I'm still bitter about that. We'll always be bitter about it until they change it back one day, and I, I'm sure they will because the drivers will rebel. You know it's going to be the best race of the season next year, right? It's probably going to – I'm just saying. I'm sorry. I hate to be that guy. It's probably going to be one of the best races of the season the next course, year. The road courses and short tracks are going to produce the best races next year, hands down. Uh, hands down. Yeah. It's going to. So people are going to remember that race, and they're going to be like, wow, I, I can see it now. I can see it now. Give it time. Give it time in seven months' time, you're going to see a bunch of people tweeting, Wow, that was the first indie race I remembered in like 10 years or something. Some smart aleck comment like that. Yeah, you're probably right. My second thing, I'm going to combine the three ARCA divisions. It sounds, I feel like a broken record, but I'm going to combine the three ARCA divisions in NASCAR, and we're going to get a combined uh, on day one. They're going to be uh, 25 28 races in that season. It's going to be a throwback to the old days. Uh, some drivers may not even start all the races, and the teams won't make go to every single track because uh, they won't want to track across the country. I mean, that's like Richard Petty and David Pearson not going all the way to California to race in some of those races back in the day, you know? So you might have some West Coast-based teams not go all the way to the East. East Coast teams not go all the way to the West. Um, and I'm going to we're really – I would say Daytona can remain the season opener. I would limit the 1.5 tracks, 1.5-mile uh, tracks and larger – um, maybe po- I would be, you know, like we did this fantasy schedule a few weeks ago, leave Pocono. Um, you can maybe end it on a mile and a half, but the majority of the tracks need to be road course and mile in less tracks I mean, just in dirt in dirt as well. That needs to be that. That needs to be fun. Uh, the third one, I'm going to bring back at least three oval races to the IndyCar schedule. Keep Texas doubleheader. Cause I kind of like that, but bring tr- back tracks like Pocono and Michigan, those are kind of locks, and that other one with like Homestead, Kansas, Richmond, or Nashville Super Speedway, you know, that third one is kind of, you know, what could that one be? But I feel like Pocono and Michigan are locks. They need to be going to those two tracks. Michigan, it's de- close to Detroit. I know that may go against the aisle, but, you know, who cares? I, I think it'd be a great matchup there. Um, And Pocono, obviously, it's a Super Speedway. Uh, that would be my third one. Fourth one, this is going to be controversial, but I'm cutting the Azerbaijan Saudi Arabia and Singapore Grand Prix from the F1 calendar and possibly the Russian GP two because they're street circuits or essentially street street circuits in Russia's case. And I just feel like F1 does not race well on street circuits. Monaco should be the only one on the calendar replace those races with, you know, traditional circuits, Germany, Portugal, uh, maybe even Argentina, South Africa, you know, go to these tr- places that we don't have a race and that have a permanent circuit. That's that's probably maybe my most controversial thing I want to say out here today. Uh, and then the, um, and then I would say my fifth one is going to be, um, and this is kind of a tough one because there's a few things I'd want to change, um, but we need to get a new promotion system within NASCAR. With the unified ARCA series, I would say 15-year-olds, you have to be a minimum age there. Uh, tracks larger than a mile and a quarter in length. But the truck series, you just be a, see a hard 19-year-old age minimum. And the Xfinity series, 20 years age. And maybe Cup, they put a 22 uh, years of age limit on there. Promotion system, get it, gain experience in the lower levels. Um, and not see guys advance too quickly have guys earn points sort of like an F1 in, in, in the formula world. You need to learn, earn points on your license to advance. That's what that would be. That would be my fifth change here. 
Um, Rob, what is your five? Okay, Josh, you know, I, I think those are all really good, good suggestions, good ideas. I agree with a lot of those. Uh, I think you've had some good things, good ideas. I think for me, though, I'm going to be a little bit more of a little bit more of a hands-off kind of guy, a little bit more of a free market kind of guy, I guess. I don't know. That's kind of presidency I, presidency I would run off of, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, so the number one thing I'm going to do at my motorsports presidency is work to rebuild the popularity of IndyCar oval races. Oval races. All oval races will be accompanied by a support Indy Lights race. My dream IndyCar schedule, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, will be implemented as the new IndyCar schedule. So if you want to remember that, it's on. we posted it on Twitter, and then also it's, it's on one of our shows. You could listen back. Uh, and I want to have a quota of at least 20 Indy Lights cars to ensure exciting oval racing and to prepare the drivers for racing on big ovals. IndyCar teams that run Indy Lights teams will give, be given monetary incentives to do so. And how am I going to do this? Well, exactly how am I going to do this is what you do is you give some of the drivers, if you give some of the teams, uh, you, you cover some of the costs for some of the teams, not any of the costs that would affect the, the fairness of the com- competition, but rather, uh, you know, things like room and board, travel expenses, things like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Things that a, a team could could cut out of its uh, budget that could help them actually put together and run an Indy Lights team. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the second one that I would do is I would work with NASCAR to regain the forgotten fan. Now, keep in mind, I don't want to say that I'm, I'm calling NASCAR dead by any means. No, I think NASCAR is doing fine for itself, but I feel like there's a market that it is completely lost. And I call this the forgotten fan. And by this, I want to launch a fan engagement program to bring back popular tracks, things that made fans and, and fans want to come to a NASCAR race. You know, I want to give them the, f- I want to go to a NASCAR race and feel as f- the same amount of fun and energy and excitement as I did you know, in the 2000s, whereas the past several years, I feel like I go to a NASCAR race and a lot of that fun and excitement is is absent from the weekend. So I want to work with NASCAR to bring that back. And I also want to work with NASCAR and its teams and its partners to create a safe car that not only enhances brand identities, but also races better and greener. This new car must be able to race at race well at all types of NASCAR tracks, which with essentially what this means is, as I've always said, a Gen 4 or a car of yesterday with uh, crumple zones. This has always been what I've been looking for for a long time is one t- something like that. But also I want to give the OEMs options to give, te- give themselves more brand identity, much like the Gen 6 has done. I want to keep that same kind of idea going so that car brands have more freedom with the bodywork, the body styles, things like that. We can have more unique looking race cars, but at the same time have cars that run close together and are able to pass aren't aero dependent, you know, all of these things that people really don't like, especially I don't like. Uh, in addition to that, I want to try and make them greener, which means adopting hybrid technologies uh, and things like that. I don't see any reason why you would lose any of the fun, the cool parts that make NASCAR exciting just by yeah. adopting a simple hybrid engine. I think it can be doable. You could still have a very uh, loud sound uh, out of the cars. I think it could still be done. Um but we need to ensure that NASCAR is greener in the future. And I think that adopting hybrid engines is a good way to get OEMs on board, as well as keeping the uh, series green. 
Um, speaking of green things, for, here's my third order of business is Formula E will remain a world championship, but will move for, to hosting the bulk of its races in the winter months, a period of time unserved by mo for motorsports fans. Now, this is is actually a serious thing that I think needs to be uh, addressed because we as motorsports fans are very, very excited about what we love. We we love racing. We will are, we are diehards. We will wake up at odd hours to watch races. At least I will. Um, and I know that I'm not the only person that definitely does this. As a result of that, I want Formula E to kind of help serve as a a bridge, a, 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 yeah, yeah, bridge between one racing series, one racing season to another. So ideally, what I would like it to have is it would begin a week or two after the conclusion of the Formula One season with doubleheader races every other week until uh, February. So I'm saying. Basically, you know, you go, you would say hypothetically, you would go to warm weather places. So you would have your races down in, in South America, the Santiago Ypres, maybe go run a race in like Argentina or something. You still, you could still go to street circuits and still promote the Formula E brand. I'm just simply saying, move the races to a time where people will be wanting, will be craving races at racing and will watch it no matter what, because that's a good way to get more eyes onto your product. And what do you want to do with Formula E is show people this kind of technology exists and show and introduce people that might not normally like racing into this new type of racing and show it into a new audience. And I think this is the best way for Formula E to go ahead and do so. So essentially what that happens is you have double-headed races every other week up until February. And then once February hits, so about, you know, mid-February or so, you have that final double-headed race. And then you go one race every month. And then that's that's that. So it creates a much easier schedule on the teams. And then it also uh, helps alleviate any potential WEC clashes, which a lot of drivers and teams seem to be having a lot of problem because teams compete, uh, teams and drivers compete in both the WEC and Formula E. By going to one race a month after February, you essentially cut down on that and you keep that championship going so that you you have a tight championship basically by February, and then with each race, it's like getting more and more down to the wire. I feel like personally, this would be the best route for Formula E to go. Uh, and in addition, I want the regulations to be opened up and, and included in those regulations. I want shifting to make a return to Formula E because that is one thing that I definitely miss about Formula E is the lack of shifting. I feel like it has seemingly made the races slower. And I would like for there to be more of an emphasis on speed. So in, a, in an effort to try and convince the teams, okay, we want you to maximize your, uh, your efficiency, your energy efficiency, but we also want you to maximize your speed. Find a way to do that. I think that would be a fun way to watch because then you could, you're, you're seeing drivers and teams try and create the fastest car, not just the most efficient car, which is I understand what Formula E is going for right now, but I don't think that's the way they need to be doing it. I think it's it's people want speed in their racing, and you need to create some kind of speed uh, speed based racing. And I think that would that would benefit Formula E quite a bit. Um, fourth year is going to be an interesting one, a new one that I think I've always I've always thought about in my head it could work. It is a and is an idea that I believe is something that if I had the money to do it, I would do it. But it's the creation of a quote-unquote save-a-track foundation, a nonprofit fan-funded charity that serves as a liaison helping potential new owners purchase and save closed racetracks. Anyone can donate to the fund, 
which directly goes to help invest in saving closing closing or closed racetracks. This is essentially would be entirely fan-funded. Any racing fan can give to the charity. You could give to the charity in some other person's name. It could be a great gift of some kind for people to give. And all it does is it helps raise money to and helps connect potential buyers and investors who want to help save racetracks that maybe that are at risk of going away or at risk of going under. I think this would be an op, op, optimal way for the racing community to help save the tracks that they love so much. You know, I feel very strongly that this is something that we – I understand that it is a business. Racing is a business. It's all economic business. But there's a lot of times, like in the sense of COVID, what we've seen, racetracks just have no choice but to shut down at some point. That's a lot of revenue that they lose. Um, rain delays, things like that, you know, stuff that can – or, you know – How's how's housing developments going up around and and bringing down the quality of racing, doing all of that, all that stuff. You know, the idea of a save a track foundation is to specifically help alleviate those problems for these racetracks, these small racetracks that people enjoy going to that are part of uh, a family that are part of a much greater story that we as motorsports fans tell our children and our grandchildren so i believe firmly that uh, such a thing like that needs to be created somebody has to go through and find the initiative to save a track uh and that's why i want to go through and do that uh finally here before i go too far uh the new f2 and f3 rules are now tossed out we're going back to the 2020 rules I understand they changed this for COVID, but screw it. I don't like it. I think they're dumb. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. Uh, I don't like them. And also, the W Series will remain a support series to run on F1 re- weekends alongside F2 and F3. Now, they can do this. They ran F2, F3 races, and Porsche Super Cup races in the past. So the, the three support races can be run in a Formula 1 weekend. So it's not impossible. Um, but now, the W Series champion will now receive a much larger scholarship with the intent on helping them find an F3 or Formula Regional ride in the next year. The W Series will con- will run F4 specs and be treated as if it is a FIA Formula 4 series. This is done to k- keep the original intent of the series, which would be helping female drivers progress when they otherwise would not have the budget, but prevent it becoming from becoming a permanent racing series for women. So this way, and it basically it says that the champion, can, much like any other major theater series, the champion uh, from the past season cannot return to the series ever. So if you win the championship in the W Series, you have to progress out of the W Series. It is simply a Formula 4 series for women to progress. Now, running it on Formula 1 weekends helps ensure that they are receiving, these women are receiving the maximum amount of uh, of eyeballs on them at any given time, Mass, most amount of marketability. It, Running on F1 weekends will provide them with the best opportunities, I think, to help market themselves to potential sponsors and to potential employers. I think this is this is the ideal way, way to go about it. I understand that the FIA is already trying to do a lot of this with the W Series, but my biggest worry is it seems like they're promoting it not as a junior seri- category, but more as its own independent thing. My declaration here would be saying, no, it is a junior series and only a junior series. We are going to treat it as a junior series, we are merely going to treat it as a way for lesser funded female drivers who have successful karting careers or successful other junior feeder careers, give them an option to race in front of Formula One crowds, spectators, and sponsors so that they can hopefully build their careers up from there. That is the entire goal, is to help 
fix that. It is not to basically give them a free pass. Yes, the scholarship goes to help, but the scholarship would be no different than an Indy Light scholarship. Just because we're putting more money towards it doesn't necessarily change that. The fact of the matter is you have to put more money towards it because it costs a lot more money to run in Formula 3 than it does in Indy Lights and in USF 2000 and in uh, um, Star Mazda or whatever it's called nowadays, Pro Mazda. Um, so that's why we that's why we do that. So those are my five. Those are my five. And then, uh, Josh, we have this last piece here of the ultimate racing idea. What is your ultimate racing idea? I think it'd be super cool to have an NHRA NASCAR doubleheader at Bristol. I think that would be super, super cool. Um, that that was that's that's that was the catalyst of of of, of deciding to have this little segment here, ultimate racing idea, because I thought about this one day. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to include this in the show somehow. So I think it'd be cool to be watching drag racing in the afternoon, then go watch the Bristol night race uh, later on. I think it'd just be so cool for the fans. I think a lot of fans would get behind that, but my ultimate racing idea is something. So, you know, NASCAR has gone from uh, having two, three road courses on its schedule, now having seven this next upcoming year. Supposed to be six. It was seven because it's supposed to be six, but it's now seven. So we've we've essentially more than doubled it. How about we go bring back NASCAR exhibition races? We go down under and we have the we pull those NASCAR cars around Bathurst. We put those cup cars in Bathurst and just let them let them run and see what happens. That'd be pretty cool. I'd, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. I think it'd be a great show. I'd say. I'd say Spire should hire some uh, some supercars drivers, or not Spire. Rick Ware should get rid of Reed Sorensen for one day, and maybe hire like uh, I don't know um, James Courtney or Mark Winterbottom or something like that. No, Shane Van Gisbergen. I would like to see him in there more. I would love to see or Wincup. I would love to see Jamie Wincup in there. That would be fun. No, no, forget it. Forget it. Just put Jamie Wincup in a, in a NASCAR stock car because I think he did it. He might have. He might have demoed one when – no, did he? I can't remember. Whatever. Point is, NASCAR should race at Bathurst for an exhibition race. That's my ultimate racing idea. NASCAR class in Bathurst, 12 hours. Okay. But <laughs> I actually want it to be like a sanctioned – I, I know what you mean. I was trying to be like a happy medium there just to throw that in oh, there. Yeah. I would think it would be cool to have an exhibition race like they did with uh, Calder Park back in the 88. Bring that yeah, that's what, exactly what I'm thinking. Like, I mean, you did exhibition races in in Japan in the '90s; those are popular, and I understand why they don't do them anymore. But if they ever wanted to bring it back, they should go to Bathurst and and give it a try. Because I would, I would love to see NASCAR stock cars running around Mount Panorama. That would be beautiful. Yes. That'd be cool. Okay, so Josh, let's go ahead here and jump into our next segment of the show. The 2020 Robin Roller Awards, we're going to give awards to the drivers and teams and everybody, everything in between that we believe deserves awards. Josh, we'll go ahead and start with our first award this year, the 2020 Rookie of the Year Award. Josh, who are you giving this award to? Uh, I'm going with Tyler Reddick. Uh, he was simply this the best NASCAR Cup Series rookie this year. Didn't get the Rookie of the Year award, which he so rightfully deserved, in my eyes, uh, because Cole Custer won a race and was in the playoffs, and by virtue of that being the only rookie in the playoffs, finishing higher in standings, he got it. Um, 
he just doesn't make sense. It should be its own independent rookie be, of your standings, right? I it should just be how many how many points a rookie scores, not by if you made the or not, because that you could have had uh, you okay. You could have had Quinn Half win a race this year, get into the playoffs, and by virtue of that be rookie of the year. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. It could have been a possibility, especially the wild race. But Tyler Reddick had had finished high on the points, more top fives, more top tens. Uh, I mean, he just performed better over the course of the entire year than his other rookies that he was up against. And to me, rookie of the year goes to him. My rookie of the year is going to go to the guy who won more races in Formula 2 this year than anybody else. That is the man, the myth, the legend, the Mr. Robert Schwartzman, the guy I have been very high on for quite some time. He did fantastic in F3 in 2019. He came right in his first year in Formula 2, won the most races, and while all being te- while all the while being teammates with Mick Schumacher, uh, he didn't win the championship, finished fifth in the championship, almost got there, almost got there at the end. Uh, he was a championship favorite for sure for most of the season, but uh, definitely uh, Robert Schwartzman is going to be one to watch next year. And I really think that I I just think that he should be fa- he should have been fast tracked to Formula One. But I'm excited to see what another year of F2 will do for him. Hopefully he'll be able to compete and win a championship. Now, uh, hoping hoping that call it, I don't want to call it just yet, but I'm hoping I'm thinking 2021 is going to be the year of Robert Schwartzman because this guy. Just keep a watch on him. That's why I'm giving him the rookie of the year, even though he, F4, Formula Two didn't give him the rookie of the year. But I think that uh, the, the, this that uh, Schwartzman is is deserving of this award. For the next award we're going to go. We're going to give it to the breakout driver of the year, the driver that we think broke out the most and impressed the most after having maybe a low 2019 season or maybe even an unknown 2019 season. Josh, who is your breakout driver of the year? Sheldon Creed. Sheldon Creed. Um had a typical rookie season in 2019 in the truck series. Um, but then comes out in 2020 and kind of cranks out five wins. Yeah, that first win of his career, rain short in the race. It's all right. But he goes out and wins four more races at the, the Daytona Road Course. Uh, now I'm blanking on where the second one was. Gateway. And then he won two of the final three races at Texas. And then he won the uh, last race at Phoenix. Um, just kind of was the guy that everyone was chasing in the truck series, at least in the latter half of the season. So breakout year for him, zero wins last year in his rookie season, go to five. I mean, it's tough not to say he's a breakout guy uh, in 2020. Well, my breakout driver of the year is going to go to another Formula 2 driver, and this guy is a guy that completely surprised the heck out of me. It is Yuki Sonoda. There's a reason why this guy is going to Alpha Tauri next year. is because I just want to take – Let's let's just take a look at how this guy did in Formula Three. Uh, again, same same season, same exact uh, is team, uh, not team, but same exact time when uh, Yuri Vips and Robert Schwartzman were tearing it up in Formula Three. So uh, Yuki Tsunoda was kind of forgotten. He did have a, a podium and a win at the Mon- at Monza, but outside of that, he really didn't have very much of a spectacular season. Fast forward to for, uh, Formula Two in twenty twenty. He finishes third in the Drivers' Championship with two wins. And how many podiums is this? This is one, two, three. Let me see here. Four, five, six, seven podiums. Holy cow, seven podiums. Um, One, two, three wins, excuse me. Three wins, seven podiums, third in the Drivers' Championship, and almost became the first person 
ever to sweep a weekend in Formula 3, finishing first in the Bahrain, uh, the Sakir Grand Prix, excuse me, the feature race, and then second in the sprint race. Again, almost became the first driver ever in the history of Formula 2 to sweep the seat, the weekend, which again is impossible in and of itself, but Tsunoda almost did it. And that's why Yuki Tsunoda gets my breakout driver of the year because who pegged this guy for doing that? Not me. If you had told me at this time last year that Sonoda was going to go have a great season in a Carlin F2 car, first of all, in a Carlin F2 car, which is arguably like one of the worst cars in Formula 2, not race, not not last year, but in 2019 it was, um, and now he goes out here and he finishes third in the Drivers' Championship and it's a Formula 1 drive. I think there's no one else I could give it to other than Yuki Sonoda. So uh, now the next award here is the most improved Team, Josh, who are you giving it to? I'm going to give it to Colleg Racing. I had two wins last year. Um, at Daytona with Ross Chastain was their team's first career, uh, career victory. Then they went to Charlotte Rubble with AJ Elmendinger later um, in the season. Then this year, they put a goal out of five wins. That's what Chris Rice put out. They go out there and get five wins. And they also have, a, have uh, both their drivers advance into the round of eight for the first time. They never advanced out of the round of 12, I, I believe. I think they would never done that. Um, and if I'm mistaken about that, I apologize because I, I totally forgot to look that up. But they made it to the final four also to the for, for I know the very first time. So to me, that's much improvement. In their, and looked at good gain on the improvement by going to three teams next year. Um, and they finally got the 11 car win too. That, the, the, the flagship team there at, at Colleague. So to me, just overall performance of that team is was was very well. Ross Chastain maybe left a little bit to be desired, but I think they have a very strong lineup for next year as well. I would agree with that. My most improved team is actually going to go to a team that I don't think anybody would peg as most improved. But uh, take a look at this. Last year in 2019, Hendrick Motorsports did not see a single car uh, in the round of eight or in the round of 14 in the playoffs. They both, essentially William Byron, Chase Elliott, and Alex Bowman, barely squeaked by in the playoffs. They were all eliminated quite early, um, rather early, excuse me. Uh, and now, Henrik Motorsports fast-forwards this to uh, 2020, and Chase Elliott is the champion, and they are firmly, they, they get wins with, uh, with Elliott, they get wins with Bowman, they get... Uh, William Byron running up front. Jimmy Johnson has a... At times, it seemed like things were going great, but then bad things happened. The whole thing is, if you look at the performance of Hendrick Motorsports from 2019 to 2020, that's a huge improvement level that I'm seeing. And they had a terrible down year in 2020. Chevrolet did it as a whole. But really, 2020... And 2019 was just... Let's just ignore that. Hendrick Motorsports came back in 2020 and really showed everybody that there's still a powerhouse team to fight with. And man, Chase Elliott is the champion, so you really can't say that they they lost any uh, any mojo there. Okay, most improved driver. That's our next one. Josh, who's your most improved driver of the year? I want to choose this by most improved driver in the eyes of the majority of the people, I think, because there was a lot of people okay. harsh on this driver in 2019 for not seeing victory lane in the truck series. But he goes out in 2020 in the Xfinity series and gets four wins. And I think that's that's pretty impressive. Harrison Burton is my most improved driver. 
Maybe not necessarily from the talent side, but again, just from the perspective of everyone out there, he proved, hey, I didn't get the trucks. I do get the Xfinity cars, though, and I'm pretty good at it. Um, and he just kind of, I mean, he was borderline my rookie of the year, too, like with Tyler Reddick. Um, so I, I kind of had to choose him for a most improved driver. I would even go as far as to argue that Harrison Burton is more impressive because the Xfinity Series cars are a lot, definitely, they're a lot faster and a lot harder to drive in the cup and the truck cars, I, I think. I would say so. So actually, this is, it's actually more telling that, that it almost seems like previously we were not seeing Harrison Burton's full potential. We didn't get to see his full potential until he went and ran into the Xfinity Series. And now we're starting to see a lot of his full potential. Um, all because he's got a car that isn't sucked to the ground the whole time and basically bothering him probably because he can't pass. We're actually seeing him be able to make moves on the racetrack. and It's like, oh, hey, this guy's actually pretty good when he can pass, you know, when he's in a car that can, you know, do do what it's supposed to do. So, um, But my most improved driver is going to – and that's going to be a NASCAR driver. It's not even going to be a guy from uh, this – this country, it's going to be Anton De Pasquale. Uh, the reason why I'm giving it to this supercars driver is because this is a guy that I just did not hear about or even know about very much at all. I mean, I knew about him. I shouldn't say that. I did know of him. I didn't follow him very much. But this year was a huge breakout for season for him. This year, uh, he got he got another he got his first win in the supercars this year at Hidden Valley Raceway, and he's got uh, excuse me another he had another podium. Uh, so he's got two podiums this year, no, three podiums, excuse me. He finished second at the bend. Uh, and he's got a whole bunch of other top fives, top tens as well. So actually, what is this? The, of the races he finished, he only finished one, two, three, four, five races outside the top 10. So that's really good considering it looks like, uh, the last couple of years, he was frequently a guy outside of the top 10. So a huge big time, uh, improvement there. He went from 14th to 8th in the championship. So he was 14th in 2019. He's 8th in 2020. And he's going to be driving for Dick Johnson Racing next year. Now, I know Dick Johnson Racing doesn't have Penske backing anymore. But watch De Pasquale next year. If Dick Johnson Racing is still as good as they have been, even without the Penske backing, I would expect definitely to see De Pasquale uh, up there challenging, uh, certainly at least, at the very least, challenging, for uh, more wins and maybe even a championship with the Red Bull guys. I really, really do like Anton De Pasquale. I thought, think he's been doing a great job. I'm looking forward to supercars next season. Uh, and it was great to actually get to talk about a supercars driver. Because, uh, again, De Pasquale is not bad. I'm looking forward to see what he does next year in a Dick Johnson racing car. All right. All right. Let's go here. Uh, heartbreak of the year. Josh, what is your heartbreak of the year? Uh, George Russell at... at uh... Edemola, um, you know, spinning under the caution there. I mean, that was, uh, that broke my heart. It just, it, it, I, I, I think it broke everyone's heart. I don't think I'm the only one there, but I don't, I think if he doesn't do that, he gets points. He gets points for Williams. And, uh, it, and then his reaction afterwards, you know, just slumped over. He's just, you can just tell he's so depressed uh, about what just happened. That's my heartbreak of the year because um, I, I could feel his pain through the television screen. I, that one is a hard one to to pick. I actually went back and forth with a couple other ones, but then this one, this one hurt more. I think and it, it 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 hurts more because of what we know now. I think, yeah. Uh, but it's 
Denny Hamlin crashing while leading at the Brickyard 400 this year. The tire goes down in turn one. He just it plows right in there, and you could you could see afterwards. Hamlin is just like you know you know that this is the race the drivers want to win the most, and that was probably the last opportunity Hamlin's ever going to get to race on the oval in his career. And he was only a couple of laps away from the checkered flag, and then boom, tire goes down. Down, he's in the, the performance was great. Gives up, heck, loses the lead, coming to one to go. And then on the last lap, he passes the best driver to ever do it in the Xfinity Series. All right, the man is approaching 100 wins. Okay, but then you add on to the layer that he learned just days before that that his wife suffered a, a, a miscarriage, and the emotion that he admitted he was having in the car. Takes a very strong-willed individual to get through that. To me, that is the best performance of 2020. I would, I I remember that race so well. It's like one of the greatest. It was easily the greatest race of the last two, three years, maybe. The Xfinity Series is so fantastic. I love the Xfinity Series, but uh, my bet, my, my best performance of the year is actually going to be. Uh, the run that Sergio Perez had in the secure Grand Prix to grab his first win from last to first. Last to first in a racing point. I mean, if you're if you're Sergio Perez, I mean, that is the race of your life. That is a race that everybody, regardless of whether or not you're a fan of Perez's or not, that is a race that you are going to remember where you were when you saw Perez go from last to first and win. His first ever Formula One Grand Prix after 190 entries, 190 Formula One Grand Prix starts, and this guy finally, finally gets the monkey off his back. Finally gets that victory, and I hope that in 2021 he gets five, six more. I really, truthfully do. I hope that that was not the last Perez victory that we've seen. Because let me tell you something, that was an emotional and special win for I think every Formula One fan who has watched Sergio Perez race his heart out to get here. I mean, a lot of people say he squandered that opportunity with McLaren. I think Perez even admits he did as well. But going to Force India and then later Racing Point has established him as a solid front-running driver who's going to get points and wins now in the prime of their careers. And it could Red Bull could not have picked a better time, I think, to pick up Sergio Perez because this guy right now is in the prime of his career and it's only going to get better. So finally, our last award here is the most memorable moment of the year. I picked two, because, and you picked two, so I guess moments should be what we said. Josh, what's your most memorable moments, I guess, of the year? 
Well, I I can't. I, the reason I pick two is because I can't pick one without the other. I pick two because you can't pick one without the other either. So that, I get it. And, and that and for the re, your on your reason is probably fair. I that what I will remember the most are the are the wrecks of Ryan Newman and Roman Grosjean. Um, those images, the way I felt. We've expressed it on here how how grateful we are for the safety and that we were able to see them um, eventually, in the case of Ryan Newman, walk on their own power or getting out. You know, Ron Grosjean was immediately, but those images will forever be burned into my brain. Maybe not the best memorable moments in the world, but to me, those are what I will remember the most from 2020 are those two crashes and how thankful I am they got out. The amount of relief I, I had as soon as they announced Newman was okay is still never going to be probably felt ever again. But uh, Grosjean, Grosjean scared the crap out of me immediately. They didn't show the accident. like They didn't show the aftermath on the TV. And then you saw him climbing out of the car. And so it didn't really resonate. It didn't. I don't know it didn't give me as much anxiety as newman's crash did because there was so much unknown about newman's crash whereas with grosjean you just saw him climb get right you saw him climb right out of the fire and you was like oh well he's gonna have some burns and he might have some other injuries but we know he's alive you know and that was mainly what i was like worried about so after that i was like wow this just happened okay now i can finally see what happened i could finally like absorb what happened so i i, I get what you say out there i just feel like for me personally that newman crash is still you don't know that's the worst when you do that know and you see that driver it, climb right out you're like oh okay it's fine then that crash was crazy but when you don't know you're just like do i want to watch this crash ever again do i even want to like remember it I, I don't know my most memorable moments of the year are going to be the italian and secure grand prix because quite simply quite simply they're the best formula one races of the season they were two of the most memorable races in 2020 for me personally yeah. um and that sounds terrible to say because there are some good NASCAR races. Like I, you know, we mentioned the Xfinity Darlington races. Uh, the Daytona 500 was very good. The Indianapolis 500 was very good. Um, but those two races, just for me, were so memorable because of the moments. You know, you have the storylines as well. Yeah. You have Pierre Gasly, promoted from Red Bull last year, back to AlphaTauri. You know. And then he gets the opportunity of a lifetime and holds off Carlos Sainz, arguably one of the arguably one of the best drivers in the whole midfield, holds him off and puts Alpha Tauri, an Italian manufacturer, back in victory lane at Monza. And again, everybody's thinking, well, when is Ferrari gonna get here? Everybody was like, Well, what, what about Ferrari? What about Ferrari? What about Ferrari? No, don't forget about Alpha Tauri. There's Scuderia too. You know, and then and then you fast forward to the Secure Grand Prix, and like I was just saying, you know, the moment seeing Sergio Perez on that podium, on the top step of that podium, just soaking it all in, like realizing, you know, it, it's taken him so much heartbreak, so much. He's been through so much just to have gotten to where he is now, to finally stand on top of this Formula One podium for the first time in his life. And stand on the top step of any podium, probably since the first time since he's been in a junior category. Um, it, it's just got to feel fantastic, and you feel for those both of those drivers just how good it is. So, those are my most memorable moments of the year. I will remember those for sure. Um, 
let's try and run through these as fast as we can because I want it to be kind of fun. Like, what's our initial reactions here? Um, yes. Also, I do it as for time, but I also want to know what our initial reactions are. Way too early predictions, way too early 2021 predictions. We're going to try and predict the future. Um, where's Ferrari going to finish in the constructor standings in 2021, Josh? Fifth. I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt. I want to say sixth, but I'm going to go with fifth. I'm going to say fourth. I'm going to give him fourth. I'm going to give him fourth. Okay. Does the Red Bull driver finish second in the points in 2021? Yes. I'm going to, I yeah, the Red Bull driver does finish second in the points. Unless Botas has one heck of a re- rebound from last year to this this next year, he's going to get smoked by Verstappen and Perez. Um, I mean, Hamilton's going to smoke the field because he's Hamilton. He's perfect. But now we're we're seriously looking at a point where second place is up for grabs. So that's going to be fun. Um, both Williams drivers score points in 2021. No. Uh, no. One might, but both won't. Yeah, I'm sorry, Latifi. I, you're a nice guy, and I really like you, but you're not going to score points in a Williams. I'm sorry. Um, four constructors go to victory lane in 2021. Formula One, do you think so? Let's say hypothetically we've got. Let's, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna run through the possibilities. Mercedes, yeah. obviously. Red Bull, obviously. Aston Martin. I think Aston Martin. I think Aston Martin can go to victory lane. I think McLaren will get McLaren. win. Something will happen in the 23 race schedule. Mercedes can't be perfect, and Red Bull can't be perfect in 23 races. Ricardo at McLaren is going to be scary. I think it's going to – your next words right out of my mouth. I think we're going to have at least four constructors in victory lane uh, in 2021 in, in F1. I'll still give Ferrari fourth in the, tr- in the constructors' champion. I think Ferrari can rebound. I don't know if Leclerc or Sainz will win a race – unless the car is really good, but I still would peg them for fourth in the championship at least. That's why I said, but I, I, I don't know if they're going to get a win. That's the different part. Cause I think that Leclerc and, and signs can combine to get them to fourth in the championship. But I think it'll be the individual efforts of Ricardo and Perez slash Verstappen. And then probably uh, Vettel um, that propel those other three teams into the front. Um, Obviously, still, I, I don't think McLaren – or no, not McLaren. I don't think Renault will finish any higher than than, Red, than Ferrari, though. I think Ferrari would beat Renault in the driver's champion – in the constructor's championship. Uh, who's your driver's champion in 2021? Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton's going to win it. Yeah. Hamilton gets his eighth. Hamilton gets his eighth, man. Yeah. IndyCar questions. IndyCar questions. Seven different drivers won races in 2019 and 2020. 2020. Will eight drivers win in 2021? No, I'm going to say no. I don't. I don't see it happening. Uh, yes, I think the competition at IndyCar is getting to the point where anybody can win in any given race, um, and we're seeing it now with the quality of drivers that we're seeing come in and that will be racing in top tier teams. I mean, Rosenquist is going to uh, to SP. Then you have Alex Pillow coming over to Ganassi. Um, I still like to believe that Pietro could find a home at Dale Coin and possibly get some of that sweet, sweet Vassar Sullivan backing, which would make the car even faster. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to to seeing to seeing Ed Carpenter, you know, at the in at, at Indy. Um so yeah, I, I think I, I hope think- you're right. I hope you're right on this. I hope nine guys uh, 
uh, do get there. All right, you guys do get there, but I, I want to say no. I hope you're right. I, I think with the, the, the competition and the, the level of parity that we have in IndyCar right now, I think it's possible. Um, how about this? Scott McLaughlin sp- finishes inside the top 10 in standings. I'm going to go with no because of the exact reasons you said. The competition is just too high. I think he'll, he won't finish 18th, but he won't finish 10th or better. Let's put it that way. I'm also going to say no. I think McLaughlin's going to struggle in his first year, and that's okay. He struggled in his first year of supercars too. It, it happens. He's just going to need to adjust. It's going to be much like Jimmy Johnson. They're both going to need to adjust. They're going to be a totally new um, scenarios. The good news for both of those drivers is, though, that Jimmy Johnson, um, thankfully, has Kanan, Tony Kanan, Scott Dixon, and um, Marcus Erickson to ask for help because uh, they're experienced drivers. Erickson, obviously, having driven Formula One, should be a huge help for Johnson, as well as Dixon being a six-time champion, um, and then Kanan being Tony Kanan. Uh, and then, whereas on the other hand, you know, McLaughlin has the help from uh, New Garden, from Pagano, and from Power, who I think should absolutely help, absolutely be able to help him. Um, granted, if they like him enough, <laughs> uh, I think they do. But, yeah, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's going to be tough uh, for him to finish in the top ten. So I'm going to say no. Uh, will the Indianapolis 500 be a repeat winner, have a repeat winner? Yes, I'm going to go with yes. 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 This took me a minute. This took me a minute, but yes. I mean, given the amount of former winners that are in the series in the it, it, that are scheduled to be entered in the ra- in the race, yeah. It's going to be way- Sato's still at the pri- up in his prime. He's going to be a a a, fa- a face to win it again. He's going to try and go for a three-peat. You've got Dixon going for a second. You know, you'll have Kanan back in the race. You'll have Elio back in the race. You'll have Carpenter as well. You'll have the Penske guys. You'll have Pagano could get his first, and that might be the only difference. Newgarden could get his first. Excuse me. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Pagano has one. He won 2019. Excuse me. Newgarden is what I'm thinking of. Newgarden could get his first. Pagano could get a second. Power could get his second. Um, Dixon could get his second. Elio, I still am holding out hope. Please, please, God, let Elio get his fourth just for me. Let me watch Elio get his fourth, please. I've been begging for this since it's been 2000. It's a long time. Uh, okay. Um, Jimmy Johnson will finish a race in with a podium. This one was tough because in 13 races, I'm going to go with no, though. I just, I, I think, yeah, I think we're gonna take, it's going to take until 2022 to get him to get a podium. Um, I'm gonna say yes. I think I don't see any reason why Jimmy Johnson couldn't get a podium. He could get it. He might. He could DNF the rest of the races, but I bet you he does. He puts out put, puts together at least one, one good race where he is in a podium position. I I I bet that. I think that. Who's your driver's champion? This one was tough. This is tough. I'm going to go with Alexander Rossi. I think, Ooh, I, think uh, he, I think he rebounds. I think he. I think that's that's risky because Andretti is hit or miss. The whole Andretti team is hit or miss. Yeah. I no matter what, no matter what, the whole Andretti team is hit or miss. Rossi, Hinchcliffe, whoever you know, uh, what, who else is in there? Uh, Herder in there this year. Yeah. It it it, oh, it, it, it is. Hunter, it's a Ray, Hunter Ray's always a, a, a sleeper. Yeah. I it's a hitter. It was between him and power to me and i think rossi will get it done 
you're going between Rossi and Power, and I'm sitting here thinking it's going to be between Newgarden and Dixon because those are the two best points drivers in the whole series. Yeah. Those are the two best points racers, period, in the whole series. It's going to be down between them, so I'm going to pick. I feel bad not picking one, but it's going to be one of those guys, I bet you. You're just going to NASCAR time. Dixon or Dixon or Newgarden for you? All right. Mm-hmm. NASCAR time. Nat Chase Elliott wins at the Daytona Beach. Daytona, I almost said Daytona Beach Road Course. Dude, I'm so stupid. They're not racing there. Chase Elliott wins at the Daytona Road Course and Circuit of the Americas to tie Jeff Gordon's record of six straight road course victories. What do you think, Josh? Yes. Yes, he does. I think he's too good. I think he's too good right now on the road courses. The one thing. The one thing that goes against him is that Cirque of the Americas is just new. I think I think that that's the, that's going to be the trick. I don't know how people are. I don't. I uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. You're, what, so you going yes or no? I'm saying no. I don't I think know. so. I think I, the road courses are just too unpredictable to predict that Chase Elliott can do it. So, I mean. Uh, Daniel Hemrick gets his first career NASCAR national level NASCAR victory. Yes, I'm going to say yes to this. I think he he has to. I think I I mean he has to, but I think he yes he does get it. I truly believe Daniel Hemrick will win at least one race this year in the Xfinity. I guarantee you, Daniel Hemrick. I guarantee you this. I guarantee you this. Daniel Hemrick could go out there, make the playoffs, win the championship. Have no wins and probably still get fired. This guy can't win. Guy is people. Guy, guy can't win. Okay. Um. So he's got to win. He's basically got. I'm saying he's got to win in order for his his job security and his future in in motorsport to be secure. Because, like I said, I I just said he could go out there and point his way into the playoffs, a la Ryan Newman, and probably even win the championship. And I guarantee you, if he doesn't have at least one victory. He's not going to return. He's not going to return. To so you're season. saying he does, you're saying you believe he will win a race, not that he, he has, has to. to. He will. I win think a he, race. he will. He okay. will because he has to. He just simply has to. His entire career is lying on whether or not he wins one race. That's all people are asking of him is like, can you win one race in top tier equipment? I think okay. he can. I, I think he can. Okay. After a two year absence, Kyle Busch Motorsports will have a driver in the Truck Series Championship Four in 2021. Yes, and it will be John Hunter Nemechek. Took the words right out of my mouth. I don't even need to go any further. Who wins the NASCAR Cup Series dirt race at Bristol? My gosh, this is so unpredictable, but I think it has to come down between Christopher Bell and Kyle Larson at the end of the day, and I'm going to go with Larson. I don't even think it's going to be a dirt guy. I I mean, those are the obvious choices, but even those people, like, Everyone was given the favorites to the dirt guys the first time the trucks went it ran at Eldora and who ran out went out there and won that Austin Dillon did. So I don't think it's fair to like immediately give it to Bell or even Larson. I think you actually have to look at someone else who could be uh, a, a up and coming charger. So honestly, I can't give you an honest answer. I think my re- my victory will probably be the fans. I think the fans would be the biggest who biggest winners there. I don't. I can't predict who's going to win this race. I might be able to predict who's going to win some other races, but that one, heck, I don't know. If if precedent has been any anything, it's that a lot of those guys on dirt don't start getting good 
on the on at Eldora until later. Like you didn't see it until like 2019, 2018 that the dirt guys were getting really good at Eldora. The first couple of years they had it, it was just guys who'd never run on dirt or guys who had very minimal dirt experience that were winning it. So I really think it's gonna be based on that trend, I, I'm gonna have to go and say probably someone else. Um, let me see. Next one here. Bubba Wallace and 2311 Racing makes the 2021 Cup Series playoffs. This one is tough. Is it, though? I, I think, in a way, it, it, it's a mind-screwer. But I'm going to go with no. I don't think they do. I think they come close. But I don't think they do. No, I don't think they do either. I really and honestly think it's going to be far too difficult for them to make the playoffs in their first year. That's too high of an ask for anything, anybody, and as especially as a new team. I mean, you've got to be, you've got to have some expectations. I think their expectations should be top 50, should be top 20 in points. Top 20 in points. Like if you finish, you don't have to make the playoffs, just finish top 20. Because if you're finishing outside of the top 20, then you're kind of barely finishing at all. I mean, that's, it, people outside the top 20 are like, Michael McDowell's, the Corey LaJoy's, the guys that are also Rams most of the time. Whereas people inside the top 20, even the ones that didn't make the playoffs, are usually the guys that are like still considered to be really, really good and at the top of their game. It's just they might not have had the best consistency throughout the year. Um, let's see here. Next here. Uh, Cole Custer and William Byron were the first-time Cup Series winners in 2020. How many first-time winners will the Cup Series see in 2021 and name one? I'm going to go with two, and I'm going to go with Tyler Reddick. I don't know. Because I think, I think the other one is going to be the guy you, sh- you should pick. Who should I pick? I think Christopher Bell. You think Christopher Bell is going to win? Okay. I, think I don't know. I think it's too early to see. I'll have to take a look. I think it's too early to see right now. I don't know how a lot of those guys are going to perform in Cup just yet. Christopher Bell very well could perform better, but I'm not sure. that There's always been a fourth Gibbs car that's just been off the pace every year and some years it's Kyle Busch other years it's Denny Hamlin last year it was Eric Jones and it cost him his ride so I'm not so sure I know quite yet who's going to be uh our first time winner so I'm going to leave that one blank for right now I hate to do that but I'm going to leave that one blank because I just can't I can't tell you Park Series champion who you got well you skipped the question I did yeah the one before Cole Custer. Oh, crap. I'm sorry. There's never been a repeat dirt race winner through seven races in the truck series. Will the driver finally repeat repeat at Bristol or Knoxville in 2021? I'll just say right now, no. Again, those races are toss-ups. There's only two guys who are going to probably race in that series that have one at Eldora. Matt Crafton and Stuart Friesen. And I'm going to go... I'm going to step out on a very thin limb, and I'm going to say yes, that Stuart Friesen gets at least one win. Okay. I like that idea. Um, for me, in the Truck Series of Champion, I'm going to have to say it's going to be John Hunter Nemechek. You're going with John Hunter Nemechek? He's got the opportunity to win the championship, and I think he does it. I mean, he's going straight from competing at the highest level, going down to the Truck Series, I think is major competition. If, he, they, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot, they're going to be Sauter and Crafton. Uh, so I really think that he's going to have the best opportunity to go out there and 
I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with the guy I picked this year. I'm gonna go with Zane Smith. I I, I just I got I like the guy. I'm going with Zane Smith. That's fair. Okay, how about the Xfinity series? Who's winning champion there? Uh it's kinda hard not to go with Austin Cendrick. It's to me. Though there are some very Gina Motorsports guys who are going to put up a good fight. I think I think there's a couple guys that Gibbs look good. Colleg looks good. I'm going to go stick with Austin Cindric though. Yeah, I have to go with Cindric too. I mean, he's at the top of his game, and he's probably the best driver in the Xfinity Series right now. Yeah. The guy that people are like, shouldn't he be in Cup next year? But then everybody remembers, oh, but it would be at the expense of Matt Benedetto, and nobody wants that. So, <laughs> All right, final question here. Who's your Cup Series champion, Josh? This is tough. There's a lot of good guys who go there, but I, way too early predictions, I'm going with Brad Keselowski. Brad the big Keselowski, huh? Shout out to Brock Beard for that one. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say Kyle Busch rebounds and wins his third. All right. I don't know. I have no explanation behind that. That's just a hunch. These are all right hunches. Off the top of my head. These are all hunches. There is no reason. I have, I have not thought about these at all. Zero scientific. Yeah, there's no. Has gone that's world. why they're called way too early predictions. Yeah. That's why they call the truth. We're just having fun trying to guess this. I mean, last year, I know, uh, way too early predictions. You said Jimmy Johnson would return to the 48, and I said Ross Chastain would be in there. Well, who's in the 48? It's Alex Bowman. Boy, we were wrong. <sighs> yeah. Who's going to retire? Who's going to retire first? I think I wouldn't be. I, I thought about asking this question. I wouldn't be surprised if Newman hangs it up at the end of this year. You think Ryan Newman will retire? I think Ryan Newman. Well, and I and, and him or Kurt Busch because I think Kurt. Uh, though I'd like to see Kurt Busch stay. I think he's doing good. It all depends on if I think Kurt stays around. And I hope he does. I, I just know he's got. Like I don't a, know. A, you, you might be right about two Newman. Two-year deal. You might be right about Newman. McDowell's got to retire soon, right? I don't think so. I mean, what has he done? He won one Xfinity Series race at Road America, what, like three years ago? Four? Guys who have done less have stayed around longer, and I don't think he's necessarily ready for retirement. I, I don't think so. I don't think he's necessarily But he has a family. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, David Reagan retired and he's got more more to his resume than McDowell does. I, then I think by that standard, you could say Kevin Harvick should retire. No, Harvick's at the top of his game, and and he's got he's got a good work life balance. I think. I, I he made it work better than everything same, else. Same about McDowell, though. I, I don't think that's a fair. I don't think it's a fair. When I think that Ryan, I say Ryan in because he's put next year will be twenty one full seasons in Cup. And um, I, I I don't know how long Ryan wants to stick around. Um, I think I think the the reason I say Ryan is because I don't think he's going to get a shot with a Hendrick or a Gibbs or a Penske. I think that yeah. part of his career is behind him. Um, I and, and who's going to sign for Roush right now? And I hope that Newman gets into a, a NASCAR engineering development role with. His degree from Purdue and his knowledge of 
I know how things work. I'm not just a driver. Well, he seems to not understand that cars are going to get airborne no matter what you do to them. I do agree with him that there's a way to reduce that and that sometimes that's ignored. There is no way to... You're you're trying to prevent physics from happening. You can't prevent physics. Physics just happen. Like a car, no matter how much, how, what, what, how the car is made, cars are still going to get upside down. The thing about it is that you have to try and prevent is them getting upside down in dangerous ways which I think NASCAR has done a good job of, but they're still going to get upside down. They're still going to flip. There's no possible way you can prevent physics from just happening. You know, Newman's crash was, in my opinion, the, his crash in the Daytona 500, there was absolutely nothing that the car could have done differently to prevent it from going upside down. The fact of the matter is the car did its job because it held up, the roll cage held up, so Newman was able to live and and race another day but there was nothing there's nothing nascar is ever going to be able to do there's nothing any racing series any physicist any engineer is ever going to be able to do to prevent cars from turning over entirely weight shifts happen i'm not saying that they're going to you can prevent it entirely first off i think there's a way to reduce it going turning immediately if you're going down the straightaway that if you do slow the cars down there, there is a line in, in, in that line. I don't know where that line is at, but it's not 160. It's more like around 190, where if you're going down a straight line and you get turned, the air isn't going to push your side over. But you, what happened with Newman, you're going into a dog leg hit a, in, the, in the corner. You got turned. He got up, and then he got hit again. I think that, that, that's a, those are completely, two, two, completely different situations. I think what he what I referred to with him is like the Jamie McMurray rollover at Talladega in practice a couple years ago. Okay. Oh, that's fair. Okay. Well, I think that should close this one out because we've gone a lot. God, we've gone a lot. All right. Uh, what's in the windshield? Here's what's looking up. But we want you to all remember to have a happy, happy new year because we will be continuing again in 2021 with season three of Robin Roller. That will kick off. Shortly, uh, probably in February, we'll probably start recording in uh, the season three. But we're gonna have Josh and I are gonna take a little bit of a break after this. Uh, after this one, it's gonna, we're gonna come back in February, talk about Daytona, talk about Rolex Twenty Four, uh, talk about. Well, we might even come back in early January. We, it depends what kind of races are on. Um, but we're gonna, but we're gonna be back uh, after the racing off season is concluded. So basically, pfft, January these first few weeks of January now with no formula E race. So, um, so, but we will, we will be looking forward to our, excuse me. I got a burp cause I've still been drinking this Mountain Dew. This is terrible radio. This is why I didn't get a degree in communications. I got a degree in journalism. The 35th running of the Lucas oil chili bowl nationals will begin on January 11th and conclude on the 16th of January. The 2021 Rolex 24 Daytona begins on January 30th and will conclude obviously on the 31st. NASCAR returns on February 9th with the Bush Clash on the Daytona Road Course. The NASCAR Camping World Truck Series returns on February 12th. The Xfinity Series and Arc Menard Series return on February 13th. And the Cup Series with the Daytona 500 returns on February 14th. Remember, there's no speed weeks this year. It's all condensed into one week, which is still lame, but whatever. NASCAR does what they do. Um, and with the Santiago E-Prix in Chile being postponed due to COVID-19, the 2021 Formula E World Championship will now start in Saudi Arabia with the Diria E-Prix at Ridia. Street circuit, something, something, I don't know. 
Saudi Arabia E. The 2021 NCT IndyCar Series season begins at St. Petersburg on March 7th. Formula One kicks off its 2021 World Championship of March 21st in Melbourne. And for those who may not have heard of it, uh, heard yet, the 2021 Bathurst 12 hour has been canceled for 2021, but will return in 2022. Uh, before we go, I want to make a quick note here uh, and uh, quick remember uh, we lost John Paul Jr. after a long battle with Huntington's disease. And many of you may know John Paul. He was a, a an IndyCar driver and a sports car racer for many years. He had a number of IRL starts. He had a Michigan 500 victory, I believe, as well. Um, John Paul Jr. has passed away at the age of 60 after a long battle with Huntington's disease. And uh, we wish his family as well as his family well. And uh, John Paul will be in our, our hearts for it's for a long time. So uh, anyway, with that being said, I want to say thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. We have had a wonderful, wonderful time get bringing you our opinions and thoughts and the news of the 2020 racing season. We know that it's been kind of crazy. We took a break there during COVID, but we came back full strength and Josh and I were able to continue and make uh, a beautiful, beautiful podcast out of this. So we are all thank you for those of you who tuned in to, and supported us through season two. We hope that you join us again for season three and uh, we will be back with you in season three. We will put out a note on our Facebook, or not on Facebook, we don't have a Facebook, on our Twitter page, uh, when we will start uh, the recording for that and when you can expect the newest Robin Roller for season three to drop. We'll let you know that. So be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Robin Roller, spelled just as it sounds, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. And then you can find Josh and I as well, at rpeters33. That's at R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. Josh can be found at roller underscore zero one R O L L E R underscore zero one, and just be sure to have a great Christmas. We ha- I hope you had a great Christmas. Have a happy New Year. Have a happy January. Make sure it's you know better than most Januarys are for some people. Uh, and we'll see you guys in the next racing season with season three. So for Josh Roller, my name is Rob Peters, and this has been the Racing with Rob and Roller podcast. Have a good one, everybody. <laughs>